Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of Rank Up, an on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. My name is Ben Gary, and I am joined by Ed Wilson for our first guest interview episode of 2022. Ed, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Ben. Uh, just excited to, to speak about SEO. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm feeling back into the swing of things after Christmas, which I'm not sure I was quite there in the previous weeks. But I feel like Good I'm there you. now. And I will say nice. a warning, I have randomly been sneezing this morning, so I'm really hoping that doesn't make it into the podcast episode. <laughs> I was going to say, I got a bit of a tickly cough this morning. I tested uh, negative, so fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully we're not uh, splurging over the mics too much. I know. You always have to specify that as well, even with the most minor illness at the moment. You yeah. have to be like, I tested negative, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I- I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, um, and. This wouldn't, be a, this wouldn't be a guest interview without a guest. And this week, for our first guest of 2022, we are very excited to welcome Dan Rawley to the podcast. Dan is an SEO specialist for startups at Honeycomb Search, uh, and will be joining us today to talk all about that topic, SEO for startups. Uh, how are you doing, Dan? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Ben. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. It's great to have you. Uh, and let's go straight into it because I know there's uh, there's lots for us to cover today as we want to do this topic justice. Um, so we'll go straight in with a bit of your background, which should hopefully set us up nicely for the rest of the topic. Uh, so how did you get to where you are in SEO today? Yeah, so I started off doing journalism at uni. Um, so when I came out of that degree, I suppose I had a background in content. So it's not a huge jump to SEO, but really, to be honest, it was more about where the jobs are. And sure. <laughs> journalism is kind of a, an industry on the way out, and SEO was very much an industry on the rise when I was graduating. So I was really interested to explore it at that point. Yeah. Uh, so I started off at a, a Sheffield SEO agency where I was working with medium to large businesses. Uh, so I got a lot of experience there. That was really good. But then after a couple of years of that, I got an offer from Twinkle, which is a company that makes teaching resources and they were basically starting an SEO department from scratch and they said do you want to come in and be part of building that new SEO team um, nice. so that that was a really really good experience um, scaled it up really quickly and then a couple of years after I'd been at Twinkle they started this kind of business accelerator called Twinkle Hive so basically Twinkle itself had grown really quickly and they wanted to support other startups who were earlier on in their business journey yeah and so as part of that I was asked to go in and help them with SEO consultancy having had a bit of an agency background uh, which was really really rewarding working with these companies yeah Um, but then after probably about a year of that I sort of realized there's a a bit of a gap here for an SEO agency that just works with with startups and there didn't really seem to be one specializing in that area in the UK and it seemed to me like a lot of startups couldn't access high quality SEO support because either it's too expensive or if they do, they, they can't afford it somehow. They don't actually have a very good idea of what they're paying for and they're not getting yeah. value for money there. So, so I think it was about April time, 2021, we launched externally so we could work with both companies through Twinkle Hive as we originally started out, but also this external um, strand of clients as well. So we do a bit of everything, content, technical, digital PR, training, consultancy. 
Uh, and at that point, when we went external, that's when we launched this honeycomb search to try and make it clear to everyone that we can work with external companies sure. now too. So is your role in that, uh, obviously the title is SEO specialist, is your role in sort of that uh, account manager sort of position, setting SEO strategies and and just working across multiple different clients? Uh, kind of. So I'm lucky enough now that we have two account managers on our team and they handle really the day-to-day okay. communications with the clients. But I kind of work with them on the strategies for each client. We try and make it so each strategy is completely bespoke to that business's circumstances. Mm. Um, and a lot more of what I do now is is kind of consultancy-based work with perhaps companies who aren't sure if SEO is the right channel for them to be investing in, doing that okay. early piece of work with them. Uh, and a little bit more of the kind of client acquisition stuff, I suppose. But it's it's a good mixture of the sales side and actually doing SEO too. Yeah, yeah. Always good to be able to get some actual SEO in there. Sometimes <laughs> it feels like when you've been in SEO for a little while, those opportunities start to diminish a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's constantly evolving as well. So if you're not doing it hands-on, then I think your skills start to dry up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so you've mentioned startups and I think most people listening will probably have an idea in their head of what a startup might be or look like as a business um but talking specifically about SEO and working on startup websites where does that journey typically start for you what are are you actually doing SEO on yeah it's a fair question because it can vary massively so in some instances we've even been involved before a company has picked a name Right. So they've asked wow. us for SEO input in, you know, if we were to call ourselves this and people were to search us on Google, what's the competition like? Would we actually be able to rank for our own brand name, which is obviously quite important. So yeah. And a fair question, really. Yeah, absolutely. We've been involved that early. Um, and also, I suppose the next logical step when they're setting up the website for the first time. So it was a bit of a, I suppose, a culture shock having worked with bigger business before to start doing SEO on a client that doesn't have a website yet. It's a bit yeah. of a strange one to yeah. get your head around. But it is really good because then you can give SEO input from the very beginning. Uh, you can you know, give them advice yeah. on how to best set up a website from scratch for SEO, which is a really good opportunity yeah. for them. It's really nice to hear that. I guess, um, I mean, five to ten years ago, SEO was a much more of an afterthought, wasn't it, in terms of businesses that have everything set up and then engage in terms of what we would need to do. But with your experience there, it does feel like more companies are using it as like a building, not, not predominantly focused on SEO, but at least considering it within the foundations of the website in terms of like competition that's out there, but also like how to structure the website initially and get that, get that, that feedback straight away in terms of that business development. Uh, conversation so yeah it's really refreshing to hear that that you know is a consideration that's happening uh, now yeah 100 percent. the the way i kind of describe it to them is they're future proofing their website by yeah. not committing some horrible technical seo error that's going to come back to haunt them in a few years and um, so it's it's valuable sure. to be able to have the input then but yeah. i suppose we sometimes come in a little bit later on so they will have websites set up but the vast majority of clients when they come to us only rank for their brand name not any other keywords they don't really have any organic traffic or links to speak of Uh, and quite often they won't have things like google analytics google search console set up so there's no software in place for them to track traffic performance yeah so i I suppose there's more setup 
uh, steps before we can actually get to the SEO part. There's more pre-work to be done. And this is exactly why we we wanted to talk about this topic today because the situation you're dealing with is is quite different from what um, you would encounter with established websites. Um, but before I move on, I am really curious about the brand name thing uh, with the SEO considerations X. Again, it's not something that most of us have an opportunity to do. Um, what what sort of strategy do you tend to recommend there? Is it like pure uniqueness that you're going for? Are you ever tempted to uh, to slip an exact match domain name in there? Like what what's your approach with that? <laughs> I think it, it varies, but generally it's just a case of doing that background check and saying, all right, if you call yourself this and someone searches just that word on Google with no mm. other context, are you realistically even going to come up on the first page? Because if, if you're not, please stop now because you're, you're going <laughs> to get into a world of pain. Um, yeah. And also things like local pack listings. If there's five of the business with really similar names in their city, mm. then again, that's, mm. that's probably one to avoid. Um, so we, I think it's more, more giving advice on what not to pick than actually yeah. us suggesting names. No, that's a yeah. that's a really good point. <laughs> I was going to say that it does feel like there's a bit more of a trend most recently. I, I don't, clearly, it's not engineered towards SEO, but really like basic names such as like sofa.com and any kind of thing like direct consumer brand that's coming out most recently that's set like try and specialize in product it feels like they try and own or try and capture a domain that summarizes such as like I don't know like, like sofa.com for example das.com it feels like brands are going back to really simple terms and <laughs> things like that you would originally think was like an exact match domain um, it seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment in terms of companies acquire these like basic level domains yeah I, i've kind of noticed that as well it does make me wonder whether do they get any traffic from people just typing in sofa.com like expecting to be taken to the best sofa website does anyone actually yeah. do that there was um there's a there was a there's a guy I follow on twitter who builds uh job boards and um he uh he, i think he has like a ranchwork.com that gains significant traffic in the us and there's he owns seojobs.com and apparently direct traffic towards the exact match domain for ranch jobs is is, is quite significant so i think there is some merit uh, to people you know typing directly <laughs> it, feels a, it feels a bit chaotic to me in terms of entering <laughs> a, a domain like that but i think yeah it does work in certain instances it's a bold move. And you'd be interested to see the for some of these, the stats beyond just that pure sort of direct traffic acquisition as well. Like we, we have no way we have no way of knowing in some of those examples how good the traffic is. Uh, although for a jobs domain, to be fair, I imagine the intent's pretty bang on in most cases. So it's quite interesting. Definitely. Um, but just to to move on slightly uh, from this to to start moving into the strategy. Um we just wanted to start now that we kind of understand what sort of websites you're working with, with just a bit more of the context for the unique challenges that come with that domain, with that territory. So uh, you've mentioned that um, you're working with more or less a blank slate. Um, so where might your sort of main SEO concerns differ from the other more established sites that you've worked on in the past? Yeah. So I, I think the obvious place to start is that these are, obviously brand new websites they're not established so mm. they're coming into industries where often they're trying to compete with big well-established websites that have huge backlink profiles behind them years and years of content so the strategies that we put in place have got to be a bit more creative to find yeah. where the gaps are that our client can succeed in uh, and also you're working obviously with lower budgets too so whether that means the client can't afford maybe as many 
hours of our time as a bigger business will be able to, or let's say they only have the budget to invest in content and not digital PR at this point. Mm. And those sorts of things can really influence what work we do as well. The prioritization sounds like it's quite important then in the early stages to work out exactly where it's going to be most effective to use that resource that's available. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's a, it's a really nice opportunity to make a difference because it's such an early stage with the business. If we get it right with SEO, Mm. SEO being quite a low customer acquisition cost channel that can genuinely accelerate their growth. And that's really, really exciting. Uh, I suppose the flip side is it's it's a little bit of pressure too, because they're reliant on you. If they've gone for SEO as their channel, it really is on us to, to get them to where they need to be. Yeah. Still nice that there's very little you can do to make it worse than it starts out (laughs) at though. (laughs) It's nice to have that floor in place. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. If we come into a website with zero organic traffic, we can't make it worse. That's, (laughs) That's a pretty nice thing to come into. So when you're starting with content then, um, particularly i suppose if you're um if if you know you're going to be competing against some more established websites where do you start like where are you going to see the most value from that initial content investment yeah so i think one thing that we notice immediately with a lot of our clients is they've created a really good product that you know it's come from a passion of theirs and they've noticed a problem they've created a really good solution to it but because they're not natural marketers they haven't explained it very well Mm. so often the first thing that we need to do is set up a load of feature pages that will explain each part of the product or the service so that we kind of need to do that as a pre-step because then you could go in first with the keywords get a load of people on the site and then they wouldn't know what they're doing on this website and just bounce again so if we set up the feature pages do a really good job of explaining what the product is how it's going to and it's going to be the solution that the people searching for it's going to answer their need that's a really good first step Uh, sorry just with with what you're talking about there and generally the websites you're working on websites that have a real clear main product or service that they offer because what you're describing there sounds suited to that sort of website but if they were a shop with loads of products then it probably would need a different approach yeah that's right i suppose We have, we have had some e-commerce clients and then you have to do it a bit differently. But generally, it's people who've come up with a solution to one specific problem and we've just right. got to do a really good job of explaining how it does that. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. I just wanted to, to clarify that. Um, so do you, do you find there are often kind of clear keyword opportunities to be going for? I mean, I imagine it's going to vary hugely depending on the niche. Um, but But how do you go about kind of with that research, finding what you should be talking about in terms of search demand and, and keyword volume and all of that? Yeah, so I think it's generally true that it's going to be really difficult for our client as a new website to come straight in and start competing for the really high volume, really transactional keywords straight away. Yeah. Um, so our strategy, we have to be a bit creative. Normally, the route that we'll go down is looking for informational keywords. So what questions are users asking about that product or that area that we can answer because if we can provide a a really genuinely helpful answer we'll be able to rank quite quickly because it's less Mm. competition uh, than the you know product keywords but also when people are on our website they see that we've given a helpful answer we can gently nudge them then towards the more product heavy pages and try and generate conversions that way rather than going straight in for the transactional keywords yeah 
So, and when you're, I'm going, I'm going slightly off, off script here. So sorry about that. But I'm just thinking when you're looking at this content to create, how much are you thinking about quantity at this stage? I'm, guessing, I'm just thinking like, how do you weigh up the kind of needs to build out this website with the resource available? So does, does quantity of content ever come into it and the need to try and get lots of pages on the site? Or are you really focusing on those several main key opportunities that you think are going to provide the most value in isolation? Yeah, it's, it's very much the kind of latter scenario there where we want to prioritize what we think are going to be the most impactful pages. So if we focus the first couple of months of working with a client on three really perfected pages yeah and um, and then after that we'll analyze the results and then we might go a bit deeper and start going out into blog posts and things like that but really the first couple of months we've got to prioritize what's going to have the most impact to the business so that when people come on site they've got content that serves their need um, awesome. and so, something else that actually happens in the first couple of months a few times is the client has asked us for our input on what should our tone of voice be um, so we've actually right. been able to, to shape that for a client early on, which is really nice as well. Yeah. And what sort of considerations come in there? It, it, at that point, are you thinking about SEO or do you have a pure sort of like brand <laughs> marketing hat on? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of both. I'd be lying if I said SEO didn't come into it. So yeah. funnily enough, the, the tone of voice we recommend to clients always tends to be, you know, re- giving really clear, helpful answers <laughs> and detailed content <laughs> and things that work really well for EAT factors on Google sure. so <laughs> a little bit biased there but it is really nice to have that brand marketing approach to and sort of match it to their the rest of the website's branding and what we think their tone yeah. of voice should be I guess you want to make sure that you're they're not going to be throwing out jargon on every page or kind of going the complete opposite direction and being so sort of I guess I don't know what the right word is like using lots of kind of slang and um, just terms that are not really going to help at all in terms of a search engine understanding what's going on at the page so it's it's good that you can avoid those extremes precisely and in fact that's a really good point because the other problem that we encounter for keywords is often these products that our client has been producing because it's quite new the customers won't know that it exists so they won't be able to search for it by its real name so often our keyword strategy you have to peel it back a layer and relate it back to something that people are searching for that's a bit broader yeah Um, so as an example of that i'm not going to mention client names and get myself in trouble but (laughs) we had one that they produce sort of superfood energy drinks so really healthy energy drinks that still give you a boost yeah but but no one's searching for that as that description so you have to peel it back to something like healthy alternatives to energy drinks or drinks that help you focus or something like that and go a bit early with your keyword strategy yeah Yeah. so i was gonna this leads in quite nicely into the follow-up which is which is how can seo support that need for for brand awareness so is your it sounds like your first port of call is that sort of related product kind of still commercial leaning keyword but then are you starting to look kind of at the more informational top of the funnel content soon after that point yeah i'd say so i think what we need to do in the first couple of months is get some momentum going if we can get them visible in search results for keywords related to their product in some way whether that's a bit less transactional than we would like ideally yeah that that sort of early momentum is really important because as i say seo being hopefully a, a low acquisition cost channel if we get it right 
we're going to accelerate their growth a lot um, yeah. when the client probably doesn't have the budget to invest in something like PPC. So there's a lot of responsibility on us there, but also <laughs> something that's happened a few times is if we can increase the traffic to a client's website and they're in pitch meetings asking for more funding, they can actually use that as, mm. as leverage to get more funding. So if they can go to an investor and say, we've now got a monthly audience of a thousand people, which we didn't have six months ago. Yeah. Then, then we can genuinely be part of growing that, that startup as well. That's awesome. Yeah. When you put it like that, it's a real opportunity to make a difference to the way, to the whole direction of the business really. Yeah, exactly. Which is really, really rewarding. Yeah. Nice. Um, just moving on to the technical aspects now of, of SEO. Um, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago in terms of you've been at the stage where it's even been to a point where, um, you know, before even a business or a client has acquired a domain, they're asking for your advice. So in terms of the um, how much it differs from, say, for example, working on the technical aspects of a more established website to working on a startup what does that typically involve? Is it more around the foundation and foundations and advising, I guess, web agencies or internal internal teams on how to structure the website and, you know, the, the foundations that are going to be that like li- lifetime value of the website? Or, yeah, what other considerations are there for them, the technical aspect? Yeah, it's, it's very much, as you say, laying the foundations to future-proof it. So the advantage that our clients have is that because their websites are so new and so small there aren't going to be the historical big technical Mm -hmm. SEO problems that we need to fix across thousands of pages because they made a mistake 10 years ago and never fixed it that sort of thing so instead we have an opportunity really to put an optimal website structure in place for SEO now and then we're saving them time money in the long run because they're not going to have to come back and and fix something that was wrong Um, yeah what what we often find is that the websites have been built either by the startup's founder themselves or by a friend who, who can do a bit of coding, but someone who isn't a developer because they're trying to save money in the early run. So yeah. when we're doing that initial technical audit, there's almost always something that needs fixing, even though the website's still really small. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned there in terms of like money and, and potentially like resources to get the website off and running i guess um how easy do you find it to get recommendations or yeah best insights in terms of um getting them implemented in those early stages when working with smaller businesses or um you know companies with less resources initially to get yeah to get them you know implemented on the website so the good thing with this is that because often we're dealing directly with the founder of the startup if we tell them that are fixed as high priority and they've got the resource to do it, they will get it done really quickly because they've got kind of the power to do that. Um, And also something that's worked really well for us has been benchmarking a client against their competitors so we can get the the founders buying and why this is actually a problem. So if we can say to them, look, your website is significantly slower than all of your competitors. If a customer lands on your site and has to wait 10 seconds before they can interact with it, they're just going to take the money elsewhere. And then that is really effective for, for making the founder realize this is genuinely a problem that's going to affect our success. So we, we need to get it sorted now. Um, yeah. The flip side is, as you say, when they don't have the resources, often our clients won't have in-house web developers just because it's a really expensive role to hire for and they don't have the budget at the start of their journey. Uh, so if that's the case, we've got to try and prioritize a little bit which fixes to go after. 
Yeah, I guess that's. Um, I guess there's also a benefit to working with um, these. I guess startups and smaller companies initially to begin with, because just from my experience as well, is that typically working with bigger companies, they're less reactive and and agile towards recommendations. It can be like a six to twelve month roadmap. Whereas, I guess what what you're saying there is that feeding into this business, this could get you know established and built straight away, um, <laughs> rather than having to wait months on end for things to be implemented. You're absolutely right. I think one of the benefits of working with startups is there's no bureaucracy because the, you don't no. need a lot of people sign off on something. If the founder thinks it's a good idea, they'll, they might be able to get it done the same day because there's no kind of chain of command to go through. Nice. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I, going back onto your point there in terms of resources, how do you typically work with prioritizing um, re, uh, improvements to work on with a website? Is it competitive benchmarking? Is it, I guess... Um, impact of implementation how do you kind of present to a client um, the prioritization of the the, I guess tasks and outputs that you're proposing to them yeah so when we do that initial technical audit for every check that we've done for something that we think is important and the the website has failed against it or there's clearly improvement needed we'll give it a severity score so then when we present it back to the client it's ordered the list of fixes is ordered in terms of how high priority they are. So if it's something like their page speed is just atrocious, we'll say to them, look, if you do nothing else from a web dev perspective in the next six months, please make it improving your page speed um, because that's going to have the most impact. But if we're in a scenario where they don't have the resources to do those sorts of changes in-house, we've got to try and work out of the fixes we can do on our end, what are the most impactful? So things like crawling or indexing fixes we can usually do ourselves. And so it might be a case if we just get on with that. And then we say to them, when you do get access to a web developer, here's some advice for them. Nice. And we've, so we've touched on uh, the content and kind of keyword targeting and audience targeting initially, and, and then the technical aspects there. I guess with your background in journalism, this may help as well. But um, when we focus on, I guess, the link acquisition and digital PR strategies, what have you found goes well with like building that initial authority for a website? Because I imagine, you know, it's going to be a key aspect, especially with a new domain or anything like that. There needs to be some kind of focus on establishing that authority in the early days. Um, uh, well, yeah, early days of that website. Exactly. Yeah. And it can be challenging because if you're going to a journalist with a startup trying to build links to them, you don't have that brand recognition and there's probably not going to be any internal data from the client that you can use for campaigns. So the, the journalist is going to say, who the hell are you? But equally, there's it comes back to that bureaucracy thing. There's fewer PR hoops to jump through and the startups are often willing to take risks if you tell them. If we do something a little bit controversial here, like a, a thought leadership piece with an opinion that's a bit out there, we think we can get you some really good coverage and they're willing to take that risk. Whereas a company with a big PR department, you probably wouldn't get that sign off. Um, so that can help us. But I, I think it's, it's almost similar to the, the technical situation where because they don't have a backlink profile whatsoever, we're starting from the ground up so we can focus on sort of careful, high quality, relevant link building mm-hmm. rather than having a website that's got a thousand spammy links and we've got to try and deal with them first of all before we start any proactive link building yeah it's kind of a clean slate isn't it to begin with yeah absolutely 
So in terms of like link acquisitions uh, strategies or digital PR strategies that you found particularly helpful, um, that can be quite scalable for um, startups. What have you found particularly works quite well? And I know there's not always like a, a templated thing that you can bring to the table, but if you are working on with a startup, what would be your first inkling in terms of where you should feel that website could gain, uh, you know, authority from? Yeah, so the probably the single most tactic that we found to be the, the most effective one is expert comment opportunities. So things like journal requests, help reporter out. Often our clients are operating in a niche that there won't be a huge amount of experts talking about it. So if a journalist is writing a story in that area, if we can connect them with our founder and offer an expert quote, that is really, really effective because there's not as much competition for the journalist to choose from different experts. Uh, so that's been really good. We've ended up with coverage from um, places like Daily Mirror, Metro, Unilad through that tactic. But it's it's also, as well as getting you know a handful of really high value links, it's also quite a good long-term one because ideally, if our client provides a really useful quote to the journalist, the next time the journalist is going to write about that story, they might come back to them directly and say, have you got another one? So we're, we're yeah. trying to set them up with a, a long-term tactic there as well. Um, I suppose also the way that we've got around the problem I mentioned before, which is, you know, the client doesn't have any brand recognition or data to use in campaigns. You you can find third party data from uh, Google search trends or the office of national statistics, places like that, and put together a campaign without having to go out and source the data uh, from scratch. So that's been quite effective as well. We've had some good coverage from that sort of, slightly hacky way of doing it yeah that's really effective in terms of cost as well right because that data is already a, you don't have to run a survey or anything <laughs> like that it's, it's publicly available so you could just use it to, to your advantage exactly yeah and that's a, another massive plus because as you say it saves money and also saves time going out and doing the research nice um so in terms of um working with startups versus I say more established websites or bigger brands what have you found are the main differences in client relationships compared to say for example a startup to a, a larger brand yeah so I think the obvious place to start with that is that we're more often than not working directly with the founder rather than with a marketing manager or a marketing director at a bigger company so there's definitely pros and cons to this I'd, I'd say there's more pros one of them is that because the founders are so genuinely passionate about the mission behind their business mm. that rubs off on you a bit you get a better understanding of their business's goals and you feel like you're having more of an impact in directly helping them grow too and um, we've had some really nice actually unexpected word of mouth referrals from clients that we've worked with if the founder's grateful for our support they'll of their own accord go and spread the word about us talk to other founders in their network uh, without yeah. us asking them to so that that's really really nice um, and yeah. i suppose the flip side to it is that because the founders have a much higher stake in the business than a marketing manager would you're, you're liable to get chased up every month on results because they're so invested in it they're really desperate for it to succeed um, and also because that founder is likely to be juggling loads of responsibilities across the business they won't have a marketing person in yet they won't have a developer so they're trying to cover all these areas themselves and that means 
sometimes if we need to get hold of them to get sign off on something quickly, that can be a challenge. Yeah, I guess that's a really great point. I didn't think about the, I guess, founders and typically they have a, a large network. So anything that you, if you're able to deliver growth for them, they're more than happy to, I guess, sing their praises, especially when other founders are asking them of like, you know, who did you go to from an SEO perspective and things like that. That sounds a really great opportunity to impress and kind of grow your, uh, yeah, well, from a business development perspective. Yeah, I, I think it's worked out really well without us sort of planning that. But the thing that surprised me is how much of a, a USP just being transparent about what work we're going to do is. So a lot of the founders that we've dealt with have either themselves or someone they know has been burnt by an SEO agency who they, they tried to get sort of a cheap agency in quickly to get results and it just didn't work because the agency didn't do what they said they were going to. So when they come across one, like I hope that we are, that does things properly, they're more likely to refer you and say, actually, this is one you can trust. For sure. I, I don't know if from your experience as well, I, I actually find it quite refreshing when you are working with someone that has maybe, say, less experience than a marketing manager would have, so like a founder or someone. So to a certain, knowledge, to a certain degree has a, a knowledge of it, but it really brings you back down to, because I think with an SEO, you can get bugged down by so many metrics, whereas when they like challenge certain things or question certain things, it, it, it can make you evaluate where you need to focus and prioritize as well. If you found that quite helpful where you're actually working with someone that's outside of the SEO industry and makes and informs you a lot more in terms of, I guess, the business strategy. Yeah, definitely. It's really nice to have that context into the, the overall business that really helps because sometimes there's going to be crossover where they mention something they're doing completely separate to seo but we think oh actually that would be worth doing some keyword research around that whether they've done yeah. like audience testing or they're bringing out a new product or something like that and yeah. and yeah it it can be really nice if you're working with a company who who don't have a lot of seo knowledge but they are genuinely really interested in how it works and they, they want to learn about that and um, so upskilling then can be rewarding i think as well it, it focuses how you communicate with them because if you're reporting results back and they don't have a strong grasp of seo it forces you to go back to to basics and say we've done this which means you're ranking for this keyword which means you're getting traffic on site which means you're getting more conversions and more revenue whereas if you were dealing with someone who had a really good understanding of seo you might only report on the keyword part and the rest of it would get lost on the actual business impact yeah no, that's great. So going on to this, I think this is a question that SEOs hate, well, a lot of SEOs hate to hear, uh, but it's, uh, I, I mentioned from, from your perspective, it's what a lot of founders ask, and that's an estimate of when traffic or, you know, conversions or results start to happen. How do you navigate this conversation? Do you, and, and I guess typically what is your time frame that you give to a, a founder? Do you use an element of forecasting? Do you use, I, I don't know, like competitor data to inform them of that? How do you typically approach this? Because I imagine it's a question that you get asked quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's hard to answer it without sounding like you're given the classic SEO, it depends answer. <laughs> and not yeah. sort of hedging your bets. But I think we definitely have found it useful to showcase studies from other clients. And that that's really good for uh, getting buy-in and also patience too because they can see how for another company the first three months we were setting the foundations and the traffic graph probably looks a little bit slow but then 
several months into the contract, suddenly there's a bit of a spike and then eight months in, there's a huge spike and then a year in, there's another spike. So they have a better understanding of, okay, this is when we're likely to see results. I'll let them get on with it for a few months um, and then come back and see what the results are like then. Uh, But I think internally, the way that we would have expectations is the first step has got to be getting visibility for the keywords that we're targeting. So we would hope to do that within a few weeks of creating content around those keywords. But then I think the difference here between startups and bigger businesses is ranking for them keywords and actually seeing traffic off the back of it. It It can take weeks or months between those two steps. Whereas if you're a bigger brand, you start ranking for a keyword, you probably see the traffic almost straight away. Um, yeah. So we've got to do a bit of communication too around the differences in those those two steps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you manage those expectations in the early stages? Are you quite, I guess, transparent in terms of everything that's going on? Um, I guess they can see the work that's being implemented either from a technical perspective or links being generated. How are you? How do you typically look to present to make sure that um, I guess they're confident in your approach and things like that. Yeah, I think as well as the case studies, another thing that we find really useful is to be really honest with the client about their starting position. So we'll produce a report early on where we say this is the average size of your competitor's backlink profile. And this is your competitor's average domain authority. Not that that's like a, a bulletproof metric, but it's a good indicator too. And we can say to them, you're starting so far behind them. These companies have probably been doing SEO for five to 10 years and it's going to take time to catch up. Um, But then it's about getting them to trust the process. So the first thing that we say is we'll start ranking for a good amount of these keywords that we've targeted. So we can come back to them a month into the contract and say, right, we're now ranking for 60% of that group of target keywords. We said that would happen. So the next step is going to be we'll rank for more of them and then we'll start uh, increasing your average position for them and then we'll start getting traffic. So when they've seen that the first step happened as we said it would happen, I think yeah. that helps a lot for building trust and they they start to believe that the rest of the process will work out as well. Nice. Yeah, that sounds really good. That's awesome. And I think in, in answering those questions, I think you've you've covered everything that we that we had <laughs> planned for this section. Um, but before before we finish the episode, I just want to say, Dan, is there anything left that you would want to mention about startup SEO that we haven't touched on yet or communicating expectations on that client side of things? I think, yeah, I think that's covered most of it, really. Um, I think one thing that's really rewarding for us when we are several months in and we've got the traffic up and and things like that to go back and redo the benchmarking against competitors Mm. that we did at the start and say here here was how far behind you were and now maybe they've overtaken some competitors for the number of keywords they rank for or the number of links they have or the speed of the website and just show the progress that's a really nice update piece to do with them that's a really good point and i guess i guess it comes to the point where uh it's not startup seo anymore right like the company might still be a startup (laughs) by definition but at some point you will be working on a more established site and the processes maybe do start to look a little bit more similar to the the seo that you're familiar with from non-startups yeah that's really true Um, and that actually can be a bit surprising when that step happens because we almost don't notice if we're working with them every month yeah and it's it looks incremental but one day you 
kind of realize it's not a startup anymore. So there was a, a client that we work with who we've worked with for about a year. And just before Christmas, they put this new section of the website up, which we weren't actually involved with, but it was a massive SEO win. It, it was so well set up for SEO that nice. it, it was like, oh, okay, you, you're actually really good at this now. <laughs> like, you know, we've still got things to offer you, but they've picked up so much from working with us over that period that they just got on and did it and it worked really, really well. So that was definitely a nice thing to do. Yeah, it does sound really rewarding. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, for sharing all those tips. I think something I just want to mention before we finish as well is that we've been talking in the context of startups, but a lot of these tips will also apply to just new websites that might be being set up by uh, existing businesses as well, which does happen um, and it's something that maybe we'll deal like more people in SEO will deal with more commonly than the opportunities to work with startups. So I just want to say to those listening that uh, don't feel like this, this advice is just exclusive to startups. If you've heard things here that you think sounds helpful for your business or your particular context, then absolutely run with it. Cause Dan, you, you've covered, you've covered a lot today, which is uh, really helpful. So thank you for that. No, no problem at all. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. That's all right. I just want to give you uh, an opportunity just to point people in your direction before you leave. So uh, where can people find you on uh, social media? And is there anything else you want to flag for the audience, like blog posts or just anything else to raise? (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I'll do a couple of quick plugs then. Um, So my Twitter is at Dan J. Rawley. And then Honeycomb Search, my agency, we've got at Honeycomb Search on Twitter and Instagram, same handle. And we also have a newsletter called SEO123, which again you'll be able to find via twitter i won't read out the sign up link at this point <laughs> awesome no thank you we'll, we'll put links to those in the uh, in the blog post that goes up alongside this recording so uh it should be easy to find and we'll also stick it in the podcast notes as well so uh if you want to follow up on anything that dan's just said there then uh, have a look in the notes and you should see a link um but that'll do it for for this week's rank up podcast episode uh and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more on-page seo content where we actually uh in a in a funny coincidence have one of dan's colleagues coming on um so we're looking forward to that uh, and continuing this uh the twinkle hive and honeycomb search journey for another couple of weeks um but throughout the year we will be continuing to bring you uh, a wide variety of voices not just people from twinkle and honeycomb search um and we'll be yeah we'll be bringing you more guests throughout 2022 uh, but in the meantime as always we'd appreciate if you could leave a review on the podcast app of your choice anything like that really helps us find new people uh, and if you want to be a part of this podcast in the future or send in any questions um then you can find both me and ed on twitter uh, I'm at Ben J. Gary with two R's and Ed is at Ed J. T. W. with two D's. Uh, and you can find everything going on at Impression over at impression.co.uk slash blog, where you'll find all of the latest content, even when we haven't uploaded a podcast recently. Um, and as always, we highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers, which is a great way to find fantastic uh, SEO writers and speakers who are covering the kind of things that we're talking about on these podcasts. Um, so Dan and Ed thank you for joining me today and we'll be back in a couple of weeks for your next installment of On Page Conversation thank you everybody cheers guys cheers